You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, you're doing very well. The guest that you're about to hear from, his name is James Monteith, and he's the guitarist in a band called Tesseract. He's with me, or he joins me, or I talk to him, however way you want to put it. We have a discussion about the band's new album called Sonder. Let's get to it. Here we go. But mate, it's, it's good to talk to you regardless. What's uh, been happening in the last week or so for you? Um, oh, uh, just lots of lots of promo, getting ready for the the album release. Um, lots of keeping busy with work as well. As my day job is I'm a music publicist in the UK, so um, along with my own album, I'm promoting loads of other albums out uh, over that period. So it's uh, it's all go at the moment. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Look, I did see that on your um, Skype profile, actually, because I can't navigate Skype bloody properly as soon as a call comes through. <laughs> but I did see that you had a PR uh-huh. business associated with your name on the Skype profile. So tell us a bit about that to begin with. Okay, cool. Well, um, we're well, we're called Hold Tight PR, and we've been a company now well, since 2010. And the company was actually born out of the PR wing of a record label called Basic Records, um, Basic Records. Uh, we've actually signed a band called Circles from Australia once upon a time. Don't know if you know those guys. Oh, I've so, heard of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, we basically started working with other labels, and um, and, it, and uh, basically it became its own company. And uh, at the moment, our clients include um, um, E1, Fat Records, Fearless Records, Hassle Records, Holy Raw, Long Branch, Unified, um, and a whole bunch of others. And uh, I guess we were born out of the whole kind of progressive metal world, but now we do sort of rock music across all genres. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice way. It's a nice, it's a nice thing to do to balance with um, playing in a band. So It's, it's interesting. You, you, we talk about this early on because I read a article from Misha in the band Periphery who talked about yeah. how hard it was to make a living from just being in a band and he has to diversify and find other things. Now, I only read the headline. I didn't read the article, so I can't give you the detail. But I had a really good chat mm. to one of the lads in Tim Charles, I think it was. Don't quote me on it. I think that's the lad's name, in Neoblidiscarus. And those guys mm. were very successful in terms of their Patreon campaign and the like. But he was very clear with me that trying to play anything remotely associated with heavy metal in this day and age, if you're trying to make money out of it, don't bother. And I've got to agree. I mean, I'm a musician myself. I'm 39 years of age and God knows I've tried to make money out of it. And, you know, it it's just seems to be, it's not about talent. We know that. It just seems to be if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't happen, well, it doesn't happen and go about your merry way. But so you've diversified very early on and you've got a PR business and you've also got the bands or at least you've got a few irons in the fire to, to, to give you an opportunity to make a living from being in the music business. Mm, absolutely. I mean, and everybody in the band's done that. Like Ackle um, runs, um, he he, produce, he mixes and records, well, doesn't do so much recording, but he does lots of mixing and mastering of um, uh, uh, for bands. Um, Amos does some of that, and he also does artwork. Uh, Jay, our drummer, runs a rehearsal studio, um, and Dan's a vocal coach. Um, Dan actually used to also be in um, a, a wedding cover band um called That's go reload I so <laughs> i play in cover bands <laughs> yeah. i've done that a few times yeah. Nice. yeah yeah dan used to do that for years he could like literally sing every 80s classic that you would want to hear i used to i used yeah. to try and try and get us to jam you gave love a bad name by bon jovi in rehearsal but none of the other guys <laughs> would be up for it 
Mate, there should have been game for it. I've been wanting to see a band like yourself or Periphery or Nearby Discaris just because I've been talking about the three bands do something like that because it would just be so left field. But I think it would be very interesting, and you never know, mate. It could be one of those things that ends up selling very well. It could do, um, but then, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I think part of the problem is, is like most people, most of my band hate Bon Jovi and hate that kind of music. I'm, 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 the, I'm, the, I'm the only champion in the band for terrible classic rock. <laughs> Good on you. Do you like White so, Lion at all? White Lion. Um, I've never really listened to them, to be honest. Um, I probably should do. Well, I've you're, met... you're an excellent guitarist, so I think you'd like Vito Brada's guitar playing. He's a bit like Van Halen taken, taken to its logical conclusion. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, make, I'll put that on my listen, listen list for this afternoon. <laughs> But, mate, we, we are talking about you and your, your new album because that's the reason for the opportunity to have a chat to you. So it is called Sonder, and, look, I had a listen by Horlicks this afternoon as I was picking the kids up from school. Now, just to paint the picture, I drive through cane fields and country roads, so there isn't a lot of urban distractions. Now, I'm not that familiar enough with the band that I could name-check every reference, but what I heard was elements of the Mars Volta, Meshuggah, and The Perfect Circle. But, mate, in your own words, how would you describe the album? That's an interesting mix. Um, um, I definitely agree with Meshuggah. I guess yeah, the Mars Volta um, one is not something I've really considered, but I definitely get that. Um, Mainly from the vocal, and, um, the vocal uh, take on perspective on things. That's what I heard there. Bit of Cedric Bixler in the uh, yeah. vocal range, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I definitely definitely hear like you know, Perfect Circle, Tool. Um, I mean, I, those are bands. Basically, them and Meshuggah. Well, all three of those bands to a degree of bands we've all grown up on so that actually makes complete sense um cool. but yeah um uh i don't know i guess sometimes i feel like we sit somewhere between like if Sugar and pink floyd were to like combine sounds i suppose mm. because there's lots of sparseness and atmospherics and um lots of like the lead guitar work um you know aren't sort of like shred solos as such yeah. they're generally kind of melodies I mean, not that I'd compare the quality of our guitar playing to Pink Floyd, but it's a, it's definitely an influence that I think is, um, uh, yeah, quite apparent. Well, you're, you are, an, you've touched on something I was going to ask you about, but you are an excellent guitarist, mate. I've got to hand it to you. I mean, I've, I've had a good look at the video, the YouTube video of the band's performance at Live at Sphere Studios. I don't know whether you've seen that it was released or posted at least in 2014. So... Mate, what got you into oh, yeah. performing and what got you into picking up the guitar as well? Um, I don't know. Well, I guess uh, from, from a young age, I was playing music. I, I played the piano from the age of eight. Um, uh, but then when I was 14, I went round to my friend's house. And um, I didn't do amazingly well at piano. I got to like sort of grade five-ish. And then I went round to my mate's house. And he had an electric guitar and he just started. He played some chords. And I was like, that's way cooler than what I'm doing. I want mm. to have a go at that. And um, I, uh, he basically showed me some, yeah, a, a couple of things. And um, I, my dad played a bit of guitar, and he, um, thank you very much. And he um, um, had a few kicking around at home, and so I basically started practicing. And um, by the time I was age 15, I, I'd got to a, up to a level where I felt was good enough to treat myself to my first electric guitar, which was uh, a Fender Strat copy. Um, that's where we all start. And, that's nice. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and um, 
And yeah, I guess from, I mean, from, I guess, age 12, I was, uh, my parents brought me up on loads of different music, but they listened to quite a lot of rock music. So like some classic stuff, like sort of status quo and the Beatles and Stones and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I remember discovering Guns N' Roses when I was 12 and I completely fell in. Oh, actually, no, Queen was my first rock love. I think I got Queen 2 when I was about 10 or 11 and Greatest Hits 2. Um, and that I guess that was where my interest first kind of poked up in the guitar, just from listening to it. And then um, uh, then Guns N' Roses um, was my first real, real love. And then I discovered the Metallica Black album, um, which is which was current at the time, something that's like giving away my age. And then I worked my way back through all the other albums. Um, um, and uh, then I remember Load came out about a year later. And <laughs> it was, I was very, very upset about that at the time. <laughs> but, um, hey, we all were. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, I think, uh, I mean, there's early heavy metal stuff, Megadeth, um, Slayer, uh, I know bands like uh, Paradise Lost. I used to love those guys. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but then from metal, I also moved. I, I got really into lots of sort of early emo and punk and hardcore, and, you know, noisy stuff. But bands like Braid, Sunday Day Real Estate. Um, and just so really enjoyed like the discordance and the melody. I thought that was a really unique thing. And yeah, so I guess it was through my late teens. I was really obsessed with that kind of stuff. And then, then in my late, late teens, I really got into rap metal. And, um, mm. and I'm, so I'm just giving you my, my musical interest biography here. That's great. Um, Go for it, yeah. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, my first, I guess my first band that did any sort of level of touring was a rap metal band. And I did that for about four years. And, uh, and uh, I guess no, as, also as, as a, teen, a teenager, I really got into um, Dream Theater. So I suppose Dream Theater were the first heavy progressive band I really got into. Yes. And there was the images, okay. words, and the and the awake albums. Those two were, blew my mind. And then I used to love trying to play. Well, I couldn't play any of the leads. I remember that 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 speed picks lead in Paul Mendo. I remember that was always the challenge. I was like, yeah, you got to figure that out. And yeah, I could never do it, and I still can't to this day. But my friend Eddie, who got me into, who showed me my first chords, he learned how to do it when he was like seventeen. He was an absolute wizard. And um, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. No, it's great. I know, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's what got me into it all. And then I guess it was a natural progression from there to try and find more interesting things. And then, yeah, then I fell into Tesseract. How much of musical theory? So, say, for example, do you have, are you one of those blokes who has chord charts and charts that explain the modes around when you're developing and when you're working on your solos? Because it actually sounds like you've got mm-hmm. a very good understanding of theory. Yeah, I used to be actually. Well, when I was a teenager, I was. I, mean, I did my grade five theory when I was yeah, about 20 years ago. <laughs> um, and I used to be really into it. But um, in all honesty, I, I've kind of, yeah, I'm not, I don't really use that so much now. Well, to be honest, I'm incredibly rusty. Mm. I don't really I remember that much. In fact, I'm refreshing my mind now because my one of my, one of my kids is learning guitar and I'm going through it with him, with him and I'm, I'm nice. relearning theory yeah, again with him yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah so I guess in recent times no theory's not really played any massive part at all but I guess it probably will have subconsciously because just mm. through ha- once having it uh, understanding it and then also through my experience of playing and putting things together you kind of have, have a subconscious knowledge of what works and what doesn't 
you know different intervals and, and how they work and that kind of thing mm. so yeah so yeah that's a that's a very sort of yeah great and confusing, what about confusing answer for you no, it's, it's a great, great response, mate. But tell us about your live setup as well. Um, you know, what do you use in terms of effects and what sort of guitars are you using in 2018? Uh, well, I mean, for the last seven years, we've been on, we've been using um, Axe Effects. And uh, it's quite oh, funny, nice. on the last couple yeah. of tours, well, we're still, we're running the old Axe Effects Ultras. And um, it's quite funny because lots of people really turn their nose up to them because they're, you know, they're much more modern pieces of gear out. Really? Okay. So... <laughs> They work well, though. Yeah, well, they do yeah, the like, job. Well, exactly. Well, I mean, the XFX2 has been around for like five years, and then I guess there's the XFX3 now, I think. So, yeah, we're, basically, we were running a vintage tech, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> anyway, it, it worked really, really well. But on this record, um, Acker was really keen to find some new tones and freshen things up a bit. And, um, and he started playing with a Kemper. And, uh, oh, yeah. and yeah, so nice. the album was pretty much all... Yeah, yeah, amazing. And um, so the album was pretty much all done with with the Kemper, and yeah, we've we've got some Kempers for live now. And uh, I've never really used one before, so I'm I'm getting to know it at the moment. But, it, but yeah, so our, our live rig is basically for guitars, Kempers, um, I guess some stomp box tuners, um, and then that's pretty much it. We don't have we don't have amps or cabinets on stage, um, but everything is is automated um, from the actual from the Cubase sessions. We run tracks on Cubase, which also has our backing track, okay, yep, and clicks, click track, and that sort of thing. Um, but also, all the patch changes are automated from there, so we don't actually have any pedals for me to change anything, which mm. is very convenient. It also means, yeah. If we did have to do it manually, there'd be hideous mistakes of like wrong tempo changes and that kind of thing in delays. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I get that. It, yeah. yeah. So it's not just laziness, I promise. No, no, I understand completely where you're coming from, and and yeah, it's um trying to recreate what you produce on record. And I think Corn have always had this problem. It's extraordinarily difficult unless you use some sort of backing tape or click tracks or what have you. It's very hard to sound organic, is what I'm saying, isn't it? Mm. You know. Uh. Yeah, I guess so. It, it is to a degree, although I don't think we're really going for a massively organic sound. I think there, there definitely needs to be some level of feel and human, humanity. Uh, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Definitely needs to sound like a band rather than a tape. But yeah, sure. At it the needs, same time, we are going like for yeah. Exactly. But we're also going because we also want to be uh, precise and powerful, which I think, I guess, is. And I think well, we're trying to find the balance between the two, which I think I think we're I think we're doing. But... I think you're doing it rather well. And and let me ask you this question: You both play. Sorry, I'm I'm short of a name for him because I didn't read the bio. My apologies, but he seems extraordinarily accomplished yeah. as well. So, between the two of you, does Famous, it... yeah. yeah, well, between the two of you, how do you work out who plays what? Uh... To be honest, I think quite a lot of it is just um when we when we jam it i mean at the moment we're working out how uh, who's who plays what with the new songs and um i'm just getting together with Ackle at the moment and we're just yeah playing through the songs and quite a lot of it is depending on what you're playing beforehand hmm. what's the easiest way to get to the next part and who's whose hand position's in the right place and that kind of thing yeah um, i know i get it yeah. yeah that part of it anyway yeah then, Exactly. Yeah, it's just like because because a lot of it is recorded. Yeah, it's recorded in sections. It's not really recorded necessarily with 
you know, playing the song from start to finish. So, so sometimes certain bits do need to be tweaked slightly just to make it practical. Um, uh, but also, um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think sometimes it's just yes, it's a case of picking who does what when it when some yeah, I get it. Yeah, I understand what you're trying to say there. Thanks. But also, when it's just like when the main bulk of the guitar is heavy riffing, then pretty much we we play the same well same or similar thing, but panned left and right just to make it sound as big as possible. Yeah, sure. Hey, mate, I'll just do a time check. How much more time have I got? Uh, where's the old? Uh, I mean, you're probably cool, but let me just double check. Yeah. I'm just getting my schedule up. You're right. Uh, uh, what time? Where's the time? Oh, yeah, we're fine. Okay, we're so fine. What, 10 minutes. It sounds like for you guys, I mentioned that um, Vito Brada was a logical conclusion to the way Van Halen played, but it sounds like for someone like yourself, you can, I mean, I'm a massive jazz. I wouldn't call myself an aficionado, but I'm just a fan, right? So... Listen to guys like Miles and Charlie Parker, Ella Fitzgerald, mm. these sorts of people. It sounds like as though eventually you yeah. go in that, in that kind of a direction. And I'm interviewing a New York jazz drummer who dabbles in a bit of metal called Dan Weiss in a couple of weeks' time. But, mate, I'm, being a mas massive jazz fan, I think I can just hear, because your playing is quite technical, you could go in that direction. So mm. do you think that that's on the horizon? Uh, I mean, potentially. I mean, again, I think a lot of influence have taken not, not we've taken is not maybe maybe not from directly from straight jazz but like lots of jazz fusion stuff which um i guess we've been listening to like uh i know paul gilbert did an amazing album called jazz metal back in the 90s i don't know if you know that but that's a i don't know I mean, it's it, definitely that surprises more me i don't know it yeah tell me about it yeah well again it's, it's definitely like a, a, a heavy metal take on jazz and it's i guess it's more to do with the note choices and the melodies whereas the actual playing is still very aggressive and metal so yeah, definitely google that and check it out that's kind of cool um but also stuff like uh, i don't know um again frederick thorndale's um, special defects i don't know yeah, which is frederick from the sugar side project okay um which yeah. is basically it's basically like a, a fusion and it's very jazz in terms of like the rhythms and the um, I guess yeah, the, the rhythmic approach is incredibly jazz, but the guitar is very metal as well. So I think we've we, we've listened to a lot of stuff that's very influenced by jazz. So I think that's probably something which has inspired what we're doing now. And so yeah. I can definitely see us experimenting more in that world as we become better players, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, take nothing away from yourself. You're extraordinarily accomplished. You know, I mean, it's um, I, I've, yeah, I've interviewed well over 200 artists at this point in time, and you'd be up there in terms of the guitar, one of the best guitarists that I've spoken to, and that's only off listening to quite a lot of YouTube tracks, but I've got into the new album via, you know, Sonder, what I could get, the amount of time that I've had it, the 24 hours or so that I've had it, mate. Your guitar playing certainly stands out as um, one of the key features, if you like, of the band's sound, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass, but that's what I hear. Wow, crazy, thank you. Well, um... I'm really glad you like it. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Mate, I'll make this my last question, and it's a question about Australia. So have you had a lot of feedback mm. and interaction from fans in Australia over the years? Uh, yeah, we've been to Australia a few times. We um, uh, Last time it was, uh, it was a, we did a headliner with a oh, brilliant Australian band whose name has just escaped me now. Uh, what are they called? Prog Metal Band from Australia. Oh, bollocks. It'll come to me in a minute. 
it's not tip of my tongue. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was in 2015, I think. So yeah, it was a little while ago now. Um, Let's see what I come up with. Uh, um, yeah, we did a headline run, which was which was really, really good fun, and um, loads of people came out. And prior to that, we we did we did Soundwave Festival. Um, which Cali was Caligula's fun. horse, sorry, yeah, Caligula's horse was the Caligula you toured with, yeah. That's the that's that Caligula's horse, yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, great like, band. Really, really yeah. good. And Soundwave, you played on Soundwave, great. How was sorry? the how how was the experience on Soundwave playing in those uh, in those uh, massive open fields and dust bowls, particularly the one here in Brisbane? How was that? Mm. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I just remember, I don't know, we were, it was kind of a bit of a blur because we were on at 11 in the morning. We were opening a stage. Oh, God, yeah. Which meant that we were, we, we were drinking beer by 10 in the morning, <laughs> which, to be fair, because the time difference between Australia and the UK is so different, it didn't actually feel too bad. Yeah, with the jet lag, but, um, factoring in the jet lag and everything else, it probably felt like you were drinking at 10 p.m. Exactly, yeah. Um, but um, I just remember... A, they were really great crowds. We were playing uh, just after a band called Hacktivist with friends of ours in the UK as well. So um, it was really nice hanging out with them and basically playing, yeah, playing at the same time with them. Uh, and then, yeah, the weather was great. The people were friendly. The beer was flowing. It was kind of everything, everything that you dream of when you think of Australia. <laughs> Well, glad we could be so accommodating, mate. And look, on that note, I will ask you the final. My, my, I said that was my final question, but this is my final question. When do you think you'll be back down here again? Uh, at the end of the year, we haven't completely firmed it up, but we've got plans to. Looks like it'll be down to, here. to come. All right. Well, I'll yes, definitely be um, in the crowd. Very, very... Amazing. Cool. Mate, thank you so much. Yeah. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my discussion with James Monteith, the guitarist in the band Tesseract. Thank you so much for listening.